Here we go. After a Thursday and Friday break due to Thanksgiving, we're back in the saddle. Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker on this November the 28th in the year of our Lord 2022. It's a Monday, and on Mondays we'd like to take a look at the readings for the following Sunday. It seems like we're having a problem with our uh, computer hooked up to the station, so we're going to be using the phone from here on. And as I indicated, we had great joy in the baptism of a child uh, yesterday at one of the churches. And we're now going to be moving to the second Sunday in Advent, uh, December the 4th. That will be uh, getting closer to Christmas. And there are three readings, Isaiah 11, 1 to 10, Romans 15, 4 to 13, and Matthew 3, 1 to 12. Uh, for today, we've decided we're going to take a look at Isaiah 11, 1 to 10. Now, in my opinion, there are two books in the Bible that are filled with theological insights. They don't help us to understand God, but they help us to explain how God works. Uh, the one book is Romans. And the other book is Isaiah. And guess what? There's readings from both. So we're going to be taking a look at Isaiah chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Isaiah is saying, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now, Who's Jesse? Well, Jesse was in the line where David was born. And, of course, the son of David is known as Jesus the Christ. Now, of course, he wasn't David's son biologically, but it was through the line of David, going through a number of people, including two Gentile women, until Mary was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born Jesus, bare Jesus, as Gabriel the angel said. So he is a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and he is a branch, and from his fruits shall bear fruit, from his roots shall bear fruit. We are the fruit of Jesus Christ. I am the vine, you are the branches, he says. And how do we get connected to the vine? We do that through faith in Jesus Christ. We do not get connected by our good works because our good works actually are responses to our being saved. So they come after we are saved. They cannot be preliminary to our being saved. So that's how we become branches of this wonderful shoot from the stump of Jesse, Jesus Christ. Verse 2 says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. When did that occur as a human being? That occurred at his baptism 
when the Holy Spirit, remember, descended as a dove from heaven and was with Jesus. And who is this spirit of wisdom? He's a spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and might, of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, I don't know if you ever think about that, but the book of Proverbs, which we're going over on Wednesdays, talks a lot about the spirit of wisdom. Jesus is referred to as the wisdom of God. And we listen to the book of Proverbs because it gives us a understanding of how God operates. We still don't understand how he does what he does, but we understand what he does because it's very simply stated in Holy Scripture. And he is the spirit of counsel and might. Yes, the book of Proverbs says that people who make up their own mind and follow their hearts without proper counsel and advice, that they often end up in sin. And so you need the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Now, this is a problem for many people, that we Christians are to fear the Lord. But actually, we need to understand it in a similar way that a child, say, eight, nine, ten years old, fears his parents. Now, you may go to an eight-year-old child and say, are you afraid of your parents? And he will say, no, I love them, and they love me. So this fear of the Lord isn't necessarily being afraid of the parents, but it's a recognition that they hold a power over the child to discipline and at times give what we would call terrible things, punishments, like can't watch TV tonight, have to go to bed early, uh, or other things. Because that's why you fear your parents, because they have the power to discipline. God has the power to discipline. A lot of people just don't believe that. So they don't fear the Lord. No, they're fine. They think that I can do what I want, and I don't have to be afraid of some kind of God who's going to punish me for my sin. But that occurs many times. For example, you'll hear of individuals who have decided to sleep together even though they are not married. And then terrible things happen. And they don't realize that this can be from the hand of God because of their sins of fornication or adultery. So it's important to realize that the Christian fears the Lord because we have such respect for God and recognize that he could send us to hell, but we realize because of Jesus Christ, he does not. 
Verse 3, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Now that's talking about Jesus. He also looks to the Father, and he recognizes that part of his task will be death. In fact, that is clear from the birth of Jesus Christ. When one of the gifts the wise men bring Mary is a fluid that's used for burial. They knew that Jesus was born to die, but not for his own sins, but for the sins of people. It says in verse 3 of Isaiah 11, He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Now, what precisely is that talking about? Well, it's talking about something we're going to be examining in the book of Proverbs, which I think is probably the most important verse in the book of Proverbs. It's going to be chapter 16. We'll look at this in more detail on Wednesday, but it's verse 2. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, sinful man, when he does sins, he is blind to the fact that that is a fault. He thinks it is pure in his own eyes. As we were mentioning, people who lived together prior to marriage, they think this is making them happy, and they don't realize the terrible consequences that can come about because of that. But the second part of the verse is so important. But the Lord weighs the spirit. What does that mean? Another way of saying it is that the Lord evaluates the motives because your spirit is your motivation as to what you're going to do. And that's why the ways of a sinful man who is not a believer, they're always pure in his own eyes. Don't judge me. Who are you to judge me? And these people living in sinfulness, even their relatives think that they are good people and don't realize that they are an abomination to the Lord because the Lord evaluates their motives and their motives have to be in good works, love for Jesus Christ. And that simply does not occur in an unbeliever. So Jesus doesn't judge, but what his eyes see or by what his ears hear, but he will judge the motives, and decide with equity, (laughs) excuse me, 
for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with a rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Now, to kill the wicked doesn't mean necessarily to put them to death, although some people living immoral lives, that does occur, that because of their immorality, they're in a dangerous situation that can lead to their death. But it can also mean that you have terrible experiences. For instance, David committed adultery with Bathsheba. Jesus put to death their son. And David grieved over that. But as you told the prophet, I have sinned, and therefore he was forgiven, even though the breath of the lips of God killed the child of himself and Bathsheba, because God will not be mocked. Verse 5, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. So he is going to dress us in his righteousness because of his faithfulness. What does that mean? Well, Jesus was totally righteous. He never sinned while he was on earth. And therefore, that righteousness is given to us as a gift, particularly when a person is baptized. They receive the gift of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, what difference does that make when you are dressed in the righteousness of Christ and his faithfulness? Well, the next part of Isaiah 11, beginning with verse 6, is talking about the home that God promised to Abraham, which we call heaven, the heaven that will come into existence after the day of judgment. That's when we, in the Spirit, will be rejoined with our bodies from the graves and live with God forever in heaven. And there will be something very much like the Garden of Eden. Because verse 5 says, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. Now normally, a wolf kills lambs, and leopards kill and eat goats, but not in heaven. There will be peace between the species. Verse 5, sorry, verse 6 goes on. And the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. Now, that's what heaven is going to be like, where even with the lion 
and a fattened calf, a little child can lead them around. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. When you go to the Garden of Eden, there was no killing of animals to be eaten. Not only not by Adam and Eve, they had the fruit of the trees, and that satisfied them. But not even between animals was there death. And so the lion shall eat grass like the ox. That's what heaven is going to be like. Instead of a bear killing the cow, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. It reminds us that the warring nations of today, those who will be in heaven, they will be together in peace and joy. That's what heaven is like. And Isaiah, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is sharing with the, with us the animal kingdom to indicate the bliss that will occur in heaven. So how about a nursing child? He shall play over the hole of the cobra. Now, if there's no giving and taking in marriage in heaven, how can you have a nursing child in heaven? Well, remember, there are thousands of nursing child children who die because of sickness or because of accidents, etc. How they will appear in heaven, we're not sure. But if they appear as a nursing child, they shall play over the whole of the cobra. Now, the cobra is a very poisonous snake. And the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. An adder is another form of snake that here on earth, prior to the day of paradise, you don't want to get near. These poisonous snakes, just one bite, unless you're treated very quickly, can cause death. But here you have even small nursing and weaned children who are able to be near the cobra and the adder because verse 9 says, they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Now what's the holy mountain? To find out what the holy mountain is, Scripture interprets Scripture. And where was Jerusalem built? On the holy mountain of Mount Zion. Take a look at the book of Revelation. And the new temple of God is constructed like a mountain. The foundation is the prophets and the apostles, their teaching. Jesus is the cornerstone, and the bricks are the saints of Christians. 
And in that holy mountain, there shall not be any hurting or destroying. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So water covers a lot of the earth. And that's what heaven is going to be like. Just as waters cover the sea, so also the knowledge of the Lord will be everywhere. So there will be no desire to kill in order to eat. There'll be no desire to hurt, to take revenge, because sin will be gone. You will have that new body and that new spirit in totally, in a way, that you don't have here on earth. You will be like Jesus. You will be sinless. The last verse of chapter 11, verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. So, though you and I, as Christians, will never be begotten children of God, there's only one only begotten Son, and that's Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father. But we will be adopted children, and we will be from the root of Jesse, In Jesus, all the nations inquire. That means that we look to Jesus for our comfort, for our joy, for our bliss. Because as the last phrase puts it, his resting place shall be glorious. It's not at all unusual to talk about the Garden of Eden as a place of rest. In fact, remember in the Ten Commandments, Sunday was reserved as a day of rest when the people need not work and God would take care of them. That was, excuse me, it wasn't Sunday, it was Saturday, was the day of rest. The church changed it to Sunday because that was the first day of creation and the day of his resurrection. And so it's very important that that's the day when the Holy Spirit came also. But in the Garden of Eden, the day of rest was Saturday. And it was such a day of rest that when manna fell, there was no manna that fell on Saturday. If they had taken double amounts Sunday through Thursday, it would become rotten by the next day. But God told them to take a double amount of manna from the sky on Friday, and it was sufficient, did not go rotten, and therefore was able to feed them on Saturday without any work needing to be done. Because the work of gathering that manna 
had occurred on Friday. This is a great passage to show the promises of God, and we can look forward to our new home, which will be very much like the Garden of Eden. And as it is expressed in the book of Revelation, it will be a place where the tree of life exists. And therefore, unlike Adam and Eve, who were removed from the garden, not to eat from the tree of life, we will be able to receive the tree of life and live forever and ever and ever in that new heaven, that place of peace to the glory of God. That's what Isaiah chapter 11 is all about. I'm Tom Baker. Join me tomorrow for the hymn on Jordan's Bank, The Baptist Cry. And I'll be with Mark Smith as we examine a hymn for the second Sunday in Advent as we have examined the Old Testament reading. And that was from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. I'm Tom Baker. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.